Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Welcome aboard. I am the captain of this ship, and I will guide you through this crazy world of sports uh, over the next two hours. And we've got a good lineup for you today. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, joins us. We're still talking about some funny season stuff going on. Uh, and we had a, a big announcement from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, regarding the purse of the Indiana, Indianapolis 500. We are basically 99 days away from, or maybe 100, but we're, we're in that, that ballpark of running of the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500. So lots to talk about that. And uh, we're going to get into some uh, talk about Penske and uh, Ray Hall Letterman. And, and uh, maybe we, we've kind of honed in on uh, uh, what, what James Hinchcliffe is, is doing. As, as you know, he's been kind of teasing this a little bit. So we'll see if we can get a, a firmer understanding of what might be happening with James Hinchcliffe. Also, uh, you know, baseball season is underway. Spring training has begun. So you had to start the season off uh, with the Astros and their quasi-apology. So we'll get into that conversation. And at 10 o'clock, uh, scheduled anyway, uh, is Steve Wilson uh, from Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. It is Daytona 500 weekend, and it is here, boys and girls, the granddaddy of them all. And it's been a crazy week, a speed week. As we remember uh, last uh, week, last Sunday, uh, in in the cla- in the clash, uh, the 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 Budweiser, I mean Budweiser. Whoops, sorry, the Bush uh, uh, clash. There, they should have called it the Bush crash. Everybody was involved in in that total mayhem. And then we had the duels. Got a, a late start on Thursday because of the rain. Uh, so we're gonna say Daytona uh, 500 never fails uh, to disappoint. So he's scheduled to join us. He is there in Daytona. Uh, so depending on how things pan out there, last minute on race uh, weekend, you never know what happens. But he's he's scheduled to join us at 10 o'clock. Tony Donahue also is going to join us at, uh, in the NASCAR conversation. Station, uh, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast, and then Mo from the BS Sports Show. We're going to talk about more about the Astros, but we're going to talk about the XFL. I mean, I really think that we could give it a passing grade. We, were, I know a lot of us were uh, uh, wasn't really sure what to think uh, with the XFL, but I, I think it's delivered on all accounts, and 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 really, I, I think the NFL 
can begin to learn a lot from the XFL. Uh, they're selling tickets, and, and the XFL could be a good partnership to the NFL, which I think is what their initial design is to do. Uh, will that turn out to be like the minor leagues of the of the of baseball? Uh, probably not, but, but it certainly does give opportunities uh, for guys to – uh, get on film and see what happens with that. We'll talk a little bit more about the Astros and, and uh, the MLB season getting underway. And, of course, we're getting ready for March Madness coming up shortly, too. And we'll talk more about the details about uh, Bobby Knight's return to Indiana University. What a powerful movement uh, scene that was. I know it was a week ago. It's old news. Everybody's seen it. But it was incredibly powerful to watch. My name is Scott Mark Michael Presidente. 917 is our digits. If you want to give us a call, we'll be right back right here on the Bounce Radio Network. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. The movement has started, the future is near. New league, new teams, a new story starts here. Where a nation began, where big nose, no bounds. Where hot will be hotter, time to turn up this sound. Where glamour meets grit, where empires are grown. Where great things launch and the game returns home. Eight hungry cities, one less of the same. We're doing it different, reimagining the game. This is Dallas, Tampa, St. Louis, NYC. It's Seattle, Houston, LA, and DC. It's happening, get ready. Time to scream, time to yell. This is football reborn. This is the XFL. 
All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Sean Marquisell, President Day, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Joining us now from WSBT up in South Bend, Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, uh, welcome. It's Daytona 500 weekend. We're about 99, 100 days away from talking about the Indianapolis 500, and we're going to talk some uh, – I know it's Daytona 500 weekend, but we're going to talk some IndyCar – uh, to kick things off, and we'll get into Daytona uh, coming up here in in the second hour. But one of the biggest uh, stories, Matthew, uh, welcome aboard. And one of the biggest stories, well, a big story, maybe not the biggest story, but a big story coming out yesterday. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway, owned by Roger Penske now, has announced a lot of changes. Uh, one of those changes being the increase in the purse, which is the first time that's happened in many years. Uh, so it goes from $13 million to $15 million, a $2 million increase. That's got to make a lot of people happy, Matthew. Well, certainly that's going to help. And then obviously an extra $125,000 per leader circle entrance. So the 22 full-timers are going to get some extra money, which all will at least pay the tire bill, as Robin Miller called it. So that's going to be a help. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rob- steps here and there to get things going in the right direction. But uh, I think the one mistake, though, Mark Miles saying there's going to be 36 cars uh, in the Indy 500 trying to make the Indy 500 this year. And, I think that was a little premature to say that. And another thing where Mark Miles may have been better to keep, you know, his foot out of his mouth because uh, I'm looking at the scenarios right now, and I don't think 36 is possible at this point. Well, you know, right along those lines, it's been announced that uh, on on bump day, they're going to have as many chances as as they want to take to go out there and try to get their car qualified. Uh, so we're going to see a real bump day again this year, which I think is pretty exciting. But, yeah, they're going to have unlimited chances to go out there and to try to get their, their car qualified within a certain parameter of time, I should say. Not unlimited forever, but unlimited within a certain parameter of time. I think it's the two-hour window that they've got set up there. So we're going to see a, a real exciting bump day, and we'll see what happens. I mean, we got a lot to talk about with the Indianapolis 500 uh, regarding uh, – uh, the the um, uh, just the other teams and stables and stuff that are going on. Some other big changes at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, they've added 30 new uh, digital uh, big screen uh, message boards or uh, video screens, which is going to re- really help out a lot with the enhancements. Uh, Matt, you and I were talking about offline that a lot of times, especially when, especially when weather issues and stuff roll in. Uh, the screens were malfunctioning and not giving accurate information. I think they've got a lot of that fixed. Yeah, hopefully that will be taken care of. Obviously, you know, you got concerns about fan safety and all that. And sometimes when you have that many people, it's tough to do it, but sometimes you got to make it a little easier on people. And uh, uh, the big thing, though, you look at the situation and the number, I think the scary thing for me, though, is they're increasing qualifying boost by another 45 horsepower this year. Keep in mind, uh, Tommy, yes, it was under 230 for the pole, but the bump speed to get in last year was a 227.3. If you keep increasing the speeds, it could get to the point where not only will it take over 230 to get the pole, it may take a 230 average just to make the field a 33. So, 
that's going to make even more things nervous, not just exciting, but a lot of nervous people on bump day because people are really going to be pushing uh, to the limit just to even make the field. And if indeed it takes a 2.30 to get in, uh, hopefully the consequences aren't going to be dire. Uh, drivers trying to push that a little bit too hard to try to get to that number. Well, yeah, you know, we're always excited as fans to get there and we see the cars hit 2.30 and we're like, whoa! But, you know, at the same time, uh, the faster they go, these are these are uh, uh, jet air, jet airplanes on the ground, if you will. And uh, so it, it doesn't take much, especially with the way these aerodynamic setups of these cars to get them airborne. So we want to keep a, a, a hefty, healthy balance between safety and speed. Uh, but we'll see how, how that plays out. We've got a lot changing in the stables. One of the big news is with Ray Hall Letterman, uh, still has a, a seat to fill. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, Bobby Ray Hall, David Letterman, and Ray Hall Letterman uh, uh, racing RLL. Uh, what's going on there, and what what are our anticipations? What are our thoughts when it comes to that third seat for the Indianapolis 500? Well, the fact they haven't signed James Hinchcliffe tells me that the man that that it that extra seat that originally had Andrea was going to go to Alonzo for Honda intervene is probably going to go to James Hinchcliffe because I think uh, that broke it off. I think Hitch sees the possibility where Andretti could give him a better car than Ray Hall, not saying Ray Hall's a bad team. I mean, this team, of course, won the Indy 500 in 2004, could have won it again the following year at Danica Patrick and have come close uh, with Takuba Sato uh, as recently as last year. So that's a competitive team. But uh, I think as far as the third driver now at this point, uh, with Hinch out of play, I'd say they're saying they're looking for a driver that will keep raising the team and not necessarily anchor down the two full-timers. So that tells me they're not looking for a rookie at this point. I think they went with the Jordan King route last year. I think that hurt them, to be honest. Uh, If I had to guess, they're probably going to go veteran. If he's available, uh, one guy that's been a longtime uh, advocate for Rayal Letterman-Lanigan, Oriel Servi, I think would make the most sense as far as finding a driver that has experience and will be competitive out of the box. Now, granted, he's not necessarily in the greatest of terms after what he did to Rossi last year when he about put him into the inside pit wall a couple times uh, late in the race when he was lapped down. But uh, I'd say if you're looking for a veteran – at this point, unless you maybe could find a way to coax Carlos Munoz into the fold, I don't know if he would go into a Real Letterman-Lanigan ride or not. I'd say the best driver that's out there is probably Servia if you're looking for a veteran in the case of uh, Bobby Rahal. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, Servio has certainly had his opportunities and his chances, so we'll see what, what, what happens. I, I mean, he's a great pace car driver, but it just seems like there's been team after team year after year after year try to give him that ride try to give him that opportunity it's he's the fail safe go back to as he passed his prime it, does he have what it takes i don't know if i'm if i'm uh, bobby rahal if i want to look at him as a full-time ride i don't know because i look at his resume and great so he, he's great around the track he's got a lot of friends go ahead go ahead remember this is an indioli ride not a full-time ride 
No, I know that. I get that, but that's what I I, I said full time. My fault. I meant Indianapolis uh, 500 rides. We keep trying to give him rides, and it doesn't always work out. But uh, no, you're you're right about that. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about our friend James Hinchcliffe, and we know he's been uh, teasing this like a prom date. Uh, so we kind of maybe have got it honed in. If 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 our calculations are correct. We think that he might end up at Andretti, and why do we think that? That's the only possibility left uh, as far as the Indioli rides, because we know he's got to have to go with the Honda ride because the Honda with Canada money. The Genesis money obviously doesn't influence that, but it's certainly the Honda of Canada ties uh, certainly mean that he's going to be a Honda driver. We know that Dale Coyd is probably not going to run a fourth car. Even though they did change the number from Alex Ballou to 19 to 55, some people thought the 19 was going to be safe for Hinchcliffe. I doubt that's going to happen. I still think they're going the route of James Davison for that ride. And then you look at the other possibilities. Well, what's left? And what's left is possibly the last stragglers. If Hunkos cannot get a Chevy deal, well, they end up with Honda. We know Hinchcliffe's not going to go to Hunkos. And then I don't know if Clawson Marshall is coming back. I'm hearing the rumors that they do not have the funds this year to return to Indy, which is unfortunate, but that's looking like that's the scenario right now for them. So at this point, it's either Andretti for Hinch or Hinch is going to be without a ride for the Indy 500. Well, he's got a history with Andretti. As as we know, he used to race for Andretti and, and I hope he does get a ride. I mean, he's a, He's a fan favorite. Uh, I mean, he's he's a he's a personal friend. I like the guy, so I'm rooting for him. I hope he does he does get uh, uh, a ride there. But you're you're right. Uh, by process of elimination, we have uh, we have cracked the code, if you will, of James Hinchcliffe out there. And I kind of think that we already know that there's a deal there because of the way that he's been teasing everything. Uh, because the only other option that we could that we could extract from the uh, bizarre videos that he's been posting on Twitter is that he's going to be on the amazing race, uh, much like uh, Connor Daly and uh, uh, Ralph, I forgot the other guy that was on there. But hey, let's talk a little bit about this rookie by the name of McLaughlin. Uh, let's talk also about a comparison that was made to an indie legend, already a rookie, being compared to a Rick Mears. Tell us that story. Probably the best guy you've never heard of. It's a guy named Scott McLaughlin. He is the two-time defending Australian V8 supercar champion. He drives for a team that is co-owned by Roger Penske in association with the former sports car and part-time NASCAR road ringer Dick Johnson. He's won the last two championships there. He got a test run in a car at Sebring, did a masterful job. Got another test run at Coda this week, was the third fastest of the test overall, and did a test, I think, either yesterday or today at Texas Motor Speedway for an oval track test. He's already been committed, confirmed as driving a Petsky car, the IndyCar Grand Prix. That's the road race prior to the Indianapolis 500. And like we said, Roger Petsky is calling this guy as the next version of Rick Mears, which is saying a whole lot about a guy with a limited amount of IndyCar or open-wheel experience. And to me, that sounds like this is a guy that he's not willing to give away, which tells me he is destined for a full-time seat with, one, with, it, with Petsky in 2021. 
Now, of course, the big thing about that, though, Tom, is, well, does Pesky expand to four cars or do they keep it three? And I think the situation is they're probably going to stay with three cars, which means, uh, well, who loses their ride? I would say at this point they're not going to get rid of Will Power because he's still one of the top drivers in the sport and in his prime. You could say the same thing about the defending series champion Joseph Newgarden. And, yes, while Simon Pagino swept the month of May last year, Beyond that, he didn't do a whole lot. So I hate to say it, but uh, for you fans of Simon Pagino, unless he does something real special this year, I have a feeling he, unless Penske expands to four cars, he may be without a ride with Penske for 2021. And see, that's kind of where I, I know we're, we're, we're stretching a little bit past this year, uh, this year's uh, Indianapolis 500 to next year's 2021, and a lot can happen. But one thing you can say about Penske it is his his loyalty that he has to his drivers, and we've seen that with Elio Castanavis. We mentioned Rick Mears. Rick Mears is still around the organization. Uh, so you look at that aspect of it, and, and the other aspect of it, Simon Patajan is an Indianapolis 500 winner. Uh, that's not something that you easily say goodbye to. As good as McLaughlin is and as, as good as he might be in the future, I, you, you don't just say, well, thanks, but no thanks. You won an Indianapolis 500. And Pinsky, Roger Pinsky and team uh, especially doesn't do that. Now, I know that he's not involved in the day-to-day operations anymore with the team, uh, obviously because of the uh, uh, ownership of IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But the legacy and the foundation and the, and the, and the ground block for his company are still there. And loyalty is one of those things that he's – always had and always talked about and always preached about, I would find it surprising if he did not go with that fourth car in 2021. Although we're still early and although we we think right now that may not happen, I can't see them letting go an an Indianapolis 500 winner. I just, that's just my, my opinion and my thoughts on that matter. Let's talk a little bit about the rookies. Rookies earned their spurs, their oval spurs in the Texas testing. Talk talk with us a little bit about what happened out there in the Lone Star State. Well, I think if you look at uh, Rookie of the Year candidates, I think obviously Oliver Askew's name uh, steps to the plate uh, right now. Obviously, we don't know how he'll fare at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but uh, he was the fastest of the newcomers besides McLaughlin with Arrow. McLaren Schmidt-Peterson, defending Indy Lights champion. And, uh, of course, though, still needs to prove himself when we get into real racing at St. Pete next month. But uh, I'd say among the candidates, he looks good. But uh, I think a lot of people are now starting to believe in the uh, future and the potential of Alex Palua. He was equally effective with the Dale Coyd team that, Let's face it, Tom, has lost several major cogs in their technical department this offseason. I mean, Craig Hampson went to McLaren. Uh, Eric Cowden uh, is, you know, now with them, but I wouldn't say he is the best, you know, an equal replacement to a Craig Hampson. But, uh, yeah, uh, the fact that he is, that uh, Palou looks so good during the test, I think uh, he has certainly a candidate for a rookie for a rookie performance. Now, I don't think either of them are going to win a race like Colton Herta did at Circuit of the Americas last year as a rookie. But I think we got a very good battle shaping up for that Rookie of the Year honor between Palou with Coyne 
and Oliver Askew uh, with McLaren SP. And uh, even though he's not technically a rookie, he, Pato Award is among the rookie ca- of the year candidates because of lack of experience. So we'll see what uh, Award could do, especially considering the fact that uh, he certainly uh, didn't make himself look good when he failed to qualify for the Indy 500 last year. No, not at all. Let's talk about some other, just some other uh, uh, teams, some other drivers. Sebastian Bourdais got his new home there with AJ Foyt Racing, looking very good, looking like he's going to have a, a good time there. Also, uh, uh, along with Foyt there, we we heard the announcement and the retirement announcement of Tony Kanaan, uh not running, at least not running full time. He's going to run like five uh, five uh, runs this year. And then he's going to slowly stack off. But basically, his retirement has come uh, with Tony Kanan and Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, looking very good with Foyt. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the Foyt stable. Well, one thing that was cool during the coded test, we got to see them throw back to the old uh, Copenhagen uh, black and yeah. orange. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't that cool? Which is cool. Now, granted, obviously, because of the FERCO lawsuit, they can't run the Copenhagen, you know, stickers on the car anymore because, obviously, with the tobacco ban, that's no longer allowed. But uh, it was great to see that livery back. Bordet seems to be competitive with the car. Well, I think – well, Tony and I think we'll have some very good runs on the oval tracks this year, including the 8500. My fear is, though – that uh, Dalton Kellett, uh, his first year, considering he was not necessarily a big star in Indy Lights, even though he had a lot of experience and had some good rides, I don't think Dalton Kellett's going to be able to get everything out of that car that's capable. And uh, you talk about guys that are going to struggle. If indeed we have 36 cars uh, on the entry list, uh, Kellett's going to be one name. I think it's going to have some problems possibly being able to get in the field of 33 in that third point car. What do we know about what's going on with Ed Carpenter and how he's putting his team together? I think the situation is simple again. Uh, my The big thing I have as far as, you know, I think they'll have a better road course program with Rhinus VK in at the wheel. My only concern is if indeed it's going to be a 230 cut line uh, to make the Indy 500, I'll be very curious to see how these rookies fare because – As far as I remember, uh, Tom, and you might want to correct me on this, I think in the history of Indy 500 qualifying, only one rookie has posted a 230-plus average in the history of qualifying in Indianapolis. That was Scott Dixon in 2003. So if indeed the bar has been raised, I'm going to be very curious to see how these rookies handle with that raised bar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was just, you know, I was sitting here looking at these uh, pictures of the new IndyCar. I'm like, it feels weird. It feels different. I know it's, I know it's a needed necessity, uh, but this this arrow screen just, it's 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 taking me some getting used to. So as a fan looking at these new arrow screens, trying to get used to this in my mind and my visual, it, it's got to be the same way with the drivers getting in and out with these with these arrow screens, how, how are they adjusting with this new change? I'm assuming that there's a situation where they could detach that arrow screen just in case the car catches fire so they can easily extricate a driver out. I'm assuming that's in there. I don't know that for sure, but I would think that would be one thing where they can easily detach that to get a driver out, such as if the car gets on fire, uh, if there's something else that where the driver, they need to get the driver out of me as soon as possible. 
I hopefully that's been added in there. But again, I don't know as much about the technical, the safety concerns with that as far as being able to extricate a driver out quickly. That's my only concern. And then the other thing, which I think could really influence, for instance, the Indy 500, is about this cooling box. There's been some issues about cooling. They have a cooling system in the front nose. Well, having that cooling system in the front nose is going to ruin the aerodynamics to be able to, you know, get drafts and suck up the cars ahead of you, kind of like what happened to Ed Jones when he had the hole in the front nose of his car a couple years ago. That cost him possibly a shot to win the race. I'll be very curious to see if people do not run or close off that air box in the front nose to be able to get better aerodynamics and qualifying for Indy. And then over the course of 500 miles, the question is, though, how is that going to affect driver fatigue uh, if they can't get that cooling, uh, you know, control where they have it through the top of the helmet like they have a NASCAR? Uh, that's going to be very interesting to see how that influences things. And uh, I think we'll see. Uh, it might not be who has the fastest car, maybe who is the fittest driver that possibly ends up winning the Indy 500 this year, if that's indeed the case with this cooling system and dry teams cutting it off in order to improve the aerodynamics where the cars are more streamlined and able to suck up to the cars in front instead of having that, you know, kind of handicap if indeed they run with that cooling box where the aerodynamics are going to be altered, you know, around other cars. Yeah, absolutely. And they were talking about that this week that we can see a lot of uh, with those changes, we can see uh, in all types of racing, there's there's the, the drafting issue. There's the, the 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 air drafting issue with that. But we see it utilized very thoroughly and effectively in NASCAR. I think a lot of people are going to say that we're going to start seeing that happen in IndyCar as far as the, the drafting and the ability to use that well, to the advantage of a team. What are your thoughts? What's that? Well, I think we already do see it. I mean, we had 68 lead changes, and that had a lot to do with the mm-hmm. drafting in 2013. So I think we've seen it for years. It just hasn't been mentioned because of until this issue cropped up with the aerodynamics could be altered and affect that, that's where I think it's coming to play. But I think drafting's been a key part of Indy, at least since the introduction of the, the DW12 chassis in 2012. It has been a major part of the Indianapolis 500 and racing over 500 mile distance on these big tracks. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, I guess, you know, that's the, the point of what it, it, it talks about. Uh, uh, it's talking about that. I'm sorry. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, real quickly, uh, before we wrap it up, put a bow on it. The future of Felipe Nassar uh, envisioned himself uh, to include IMSA, uh, IndyCar, uh with his part in the Carlin Racing uh, Chevy uh, team there, what are your, what are your thoughts on uh, Felipe Nassar uh, and Carlin? Again, I think they'll have a major influence because there's a limited number of engine leases left with Chevrolet. If indeed they're going to cut it at 18, well, if Carlin not only provides a car at the Indy 500 for Chilton, and Nat, Philippe Nasser, and then possibly for Sergio Sete Camara, well, that would alter possibly plans for a third car for McLaren. That would possibly force a team like Hood Coast maybe to go to the Honda camp to get an engine, and it probably would completely wipe out a team that probably is not going to be back anyway, but probably wipe out a team like Clausen Marshall, who, de- who is looking for probably would have to look very hard to find an edge at least at this point. 
So unless Chevrolet goes beyond those 18 engine leases, there could be someone that could be left without uh, the possibility to run an extra car because there just won't be an extra engine available. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, before you let you go, let's play the homework card here real quickly. Well, I do want to get to Notre Dame, but let's go back to last week at IU. I'm, everybody knows I'm a big IU fan. I'm an IU alum. I lived the years of Bobby Knight. It was something very special and very powerful. Uh, it's unfortunate that Father Time hasn't been uh, friendly to uh, the general, but to see him return to Assembly Hall, what are your thoughts on that when you witnessed that? Well, it was a good thing to see that. Hopefully, I think now that the you know the bridges that were ripped apart with between the fights between Knight and Brand have finally been put to a head. Hopefully, that's now been passed and everyone can move on beyond that. But uh, the big thing, though, with Indiana, though, is they need to stop the bleeding at this point because, yes, they got mm-hmm. the win over Iowa, but the home loss to Purdue, I think, really hurt them. And I think they're going to have to play flawlessly down the stretch, just like Purdue will, to be absolutely sure that they're in the NCAA tournament and not in a situation where after they announce the field, they're going to have to play right away in Dayton two days later. That, you know, and here, here's the thing. I was really, as a fan, I was really, 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 really disappointed with the Indiana Hoosiers in the second half. And it just it fell apart for them. It's not so much. It's always disappointing when you lose to Purdue, obviously big rival. But at home, IU the day just just moments after a powerful impact of, of Bobby Knight returning, that should have been the one game, the one game. Whether or not they they won any other game in the season, that should have been the one game, and it was very disappointing. I and mean, you're right, they've got to they've got to stop the bleeding. Maybe they maybe they've got the band aid box out. That was a good win against Iowa. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, it's kind of looking bleak. It looks like you guys are headed to the NIT at best. Well, it's the impossible dream right now, and I think the only way they stay alive for an NCAA bid is they got to have to find somehow, some way, they got to beat Duke at Cameron today. And then, let's face it, Tom, I just don't think that's going to happen because, yes, Duke is not the same Duke with Zion Williamson that they were last year. The fact, though, that they came back so impressively. Now, granted, North Carolina is down, but to make up a 15-point deficit in three minutes, send the game to overtime, and then win it in overtime on a buzzer beater, even with your star player fouled out with five minutes to go, I think that says that uh, Duke is still a very strong power. And uh, unless Notre Dame plays the perfect game, I just do not see where I mean, even if they finish within 15 points then today, I'd say that's a decent performance. But I just don't think Notre Dame has much of a chance to challenge Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium today. Let's look at Butler. I mean, Butler's got something special going on again uh, here. What, I think a lot of teams need to look at what Butler does and what they've been doing over years. the years. Uh, Butler located here in Indianapolis, which is where we are as well. Uh, but the Butler Bulldogs, man, they're, they're, on a, they're on a roll to do something special yet again in 2020. Yeah, but Butler's also starting to show chinks in the arm. They lost three of their last five games, a bad performance last time out against Providence at home. Uh, They're in the same situation right now where they could easily fall in the same hole of disaster like what's happening with Indiana and Purdue and Notre Dame. Uh, They need to be careful here, right the ship and have a strong finish and then have a good run in the Big East tournament leading in the NCAA tournament. They really want to have a chance. 
they're showing signs that maybe the bottom might be falling out for them as well. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, joins us with WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, we got to get your official pick for the Daytona 500. My colleague Kyle or David Land said Kyle Busch. I think we're going to have a three-time winner at the end of the day, and our fourth back-to-back winner. Uh, my pick has got to be Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin, hey, that's a good pick. That's a good pick, and we'll see what happens. I mean, certainly he's strong, well, and I'm going to say. Guy on restrictor plate races right now. It was Stenhouse at one point. It could still be Stenhouse, but I still have questions whether he can do it with a brand new team. At this point, you got to go with who's hot right now, and that's Denny Hamlin. Well, Denny Hamlin is definitely hot right now. Uh, Matthew, uh, where can people find your work in Masterpieces, sir? M A T T E M B U Y R Y on Twitter. Uh, I have a few comments there, and obviously I'll be keeping an eye on a few things today. For instance, on WSBT at 4, we have Notre Dame and Duke. And then, of course, coming up later today also at 7.30, Mishawaka basketball as they take on Wawasee. So I'll keep posted on all of those. Don't forget we'll have all that stuff available on 96.1 FM WSBT. Again, pregame for Notre Dame at 3.40 p.m. this afternoon. All right, Matthew, you have yourself a good weekend, and we'll catch up with you soon, sir. Anytime, Tom. Matthew Embry, WSVT episode, been our official IndyCar contributor. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente. Uh, we'll be back. We're going to get into this conversation about the MLB. I'm going to spend some time playing back the press conference, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about it on the back side of that because we we got what we call some filler time to do before we get into the Daytona 500 talk at the top of the hour. My name is Tom Marquisell, Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Parking lot, trying not to get caught. Take her home and give her your jack. Making it to second base, but saying you went all the way Monday afternoon at practice. Sister's got a boyfriend, daddy doesn't lie. Now he's sitting out back, 30 30 in his lap in the blue bug dapper life. We were Jesus to save me, blue jean baby, born in the USA. Trailer park truck stop fatally. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, they're one of my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. The movement has started. The future is near. New league, new teams, a new story starts here. Where a nation began. We're big nose, no bounds. We're hot, we'll be hotter. Time to turn up this sound. We're glamour, meets grit. Where empires are grown, where great things launch, and the game returns home. Eight hungry cities, one less of the same. We're doing it different, reimagining the game. This is Dallas, Tampa, St. Louis, NYC. It's Seattle, Houston, LA, and DC. It's happening, get ready. Time to scream, time to yell. This is football reborn. This is the Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Talking some IndyCar funny season. We're just a little less than a month away when we get into some real racing out in St. Pete. And we're counting down 99 days, roughly to my count, so maybe 100. Uh, I I think it's 99 days to be sure about that. But either which way. We're counting down to the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, we think we've got it zoned down to uh, just by process of elimination and relationships. So we, we think that we, we, we think uh, with no official announcement yet that uh, James Hinchcliffe will be making an appearance at the Indianapolis 500 in the uh, Andretti stable. Uh, certainly a lot of other uh, talk in, in the funny season. And also uh, announced yesterday, Roger Pinsky, owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar announced that we say Roger Pinsky is Pinsky Entertainment. If we got to dot all of our legal I's and cross all of our legal T's, uh, 
owned by Penske Entertainment, which is owned by Roger Penske. Okay, got that cleared up now. The, the purses could be increased by uh, $2 million from $13 million to uh, $15 million. You know, we, we kind of get lost in, in, in the seasons and, and just – Right, right around the corner is the start of the MLB, and spring training has begun. As we know that, you know, here's the thing. Uh, sign, I've been I've been around baseball my whole life. It's my favorite sport. Go Cardinals! I mean, I'm I'm a diehard baseball fan. So it's a sport I know a little something about. I played baseball when I was a kid, and uh, you know, one of the things that's always around, even when you're a kid. Uh, especially if you manage to, to land on second base or, or steal from first to second, you've got a bird's eye view of those signals. Uh, signal, signal stealing has been around for the ages. Why do you think oftentimes that the catcher uh, comes uh, from behind the plate, comes up to the, the pitcher, they put the gloves over their mouths because they're changing their signal pattern around because they know that signal stealing is just part of the game. And, you know, if you ever watched a batter when they're up to bat, they, they never look down to see the signals because it's just part of the integrity of the game. So it's kind of like we know this has been going on, but now we have to deal with it. And the thing about it is the Astros kind of took it to brought modern technology, what they used – and a lot of different things that happened here, without getting too complicated, they used a video, a complex video system of, of uh, real-time video and audio inside the dugout where they would uh, watch the opposing player's signals. They would use that as part of their tape and game preparation, and uh, they inserted or underneath the jerseys. Uh, now, I guess everybody's got to get patted down. That's not a rule. I'm just saying uh, to, to make sure that there's not any type of electronic buzzers. So uh, when a certain pitch is coming, uh, they do a certain type of buzz. So they brought modern technology uh, to uh, what's been known to happen for, for years. And so what they would do, if not use the buzzer, they'd have someone bang on the garbage can. You imagine having that job? Hey, honey, uh, what are you doing today? Well, I'm on the can today, baby. I'm on the can. So they had somebody bang a garbage can, and it would send the signal to the um, to the uh, um, a batter. And so, obviously, with the Astros and the in the World Series, all of that came to light. They're not the only team. The Red Sox were involved with some stuff. And so, here's the thing: the the Houston Astros fired. And terminated their leadership of that of that uh, organization. The players didn't get punished at all because the MLB says they shouldn't. I personally think, hey, you're a grown up. You're not a kindergartner. You're not a first grader or a second grader with a substitute teacher in there. You're just running around and you need supervision. You're a grown adult. You know what's right and you know what's not right. So I think everybody involved should have been should have been uh, penalized. Uh, but the Astros did start their season off with. Um, well, well, we'll call it a a quasi, a somewhat acceptable 
of uh, an apology. So what we're going to do is we're going to play about five minutes of that press conference, uh, and then we'll come back, and then we'll probably try to play a little bit more of the press conference before we go into our next segment with Daytona 500. But I do want to get you guys to get a feel of what happened in the words of the mouth of the of the uh, of the Astros. Here's a little bit of the uh, uh, part of the segment of the news conference uh, with the Houston Astros. The whole Astros organization and the team uh, feel bad about what happened in in 2017. <clears throat> we especially feel remorse for the impact in our fans and the gain of baseball. I've learned from this, and I hope to regain the trust of baseball fans. That was Houston Astros stars Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman apologizing yesterday for the sign-stealing scandal that rocked Major League Baseball. It was the first time reporters heard from the Astros since news of the scandal broke last month. The team used an algorithm to steal signs from pitchers and then would bang a trash can in the dugout to help batters guess the pitch correctly. MLB said that the Astros used the method when they won the World Series in 2017. And some people are unsatisfied now with Houston's apology. One of those critics is David Samson. He's the host of the CBS Sports podcast, Nothing Personal, and a CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst. He's also the former president of the Miami Marlins. So, David, why do you think that the Astros' apology is insufficient? Well, first I thought it came too late. The owner, Jim Crane, said that he couldn't get the whole team together until spring training. And that is when he's going to do a PR plan and come out with a press conference and a proper apology. Well, he waited, and then the apology was less than proper. And it's actually made things worse for himself, the team, and MLB. And you mentioned Astros owner Jim Crane. Uh, he refused to admit that the scandal actually impacted the game. Take a listen to what he had to say. Our opinion is, um, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, we had a good team. Um, we won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. Those comments from the owner of the Astros, and it still appears that he's not apologizing. He said it didn't impact the result. Does that suggest that the Astros really aren't going to change culture-wise? Well, they have to change in terms of not no longer banging garbage cans. But really what Jim Crane is saying there is that he's not taking accountability and he's not being realistic. That entire franchise, they don't do one thing that doesn't try to give them an advantage to try to win more games. If you're going to go through that entire process of filming the catcher, relaying the signs through sounds, buzzers, whistles, whatever they did, it better give you an advantage and it better help impact the game or you ought to be firing the people for being ineffective. So I think his approach should have been quite a bit different. He should have apologized, acknowledged what he did, taken full accountability for what he did, and then tried to help the healing process instead of forcing the healing process. Well, let's talk about what happened. As a result of the scandal, the Astros fired their manager and general manager. They were fined $5 million. They lost two first-round picks. The Red Sox and the Mets also had to fire their managers because they had roles with the Astros at the time. Do you believe that the MLB needs to enact more punishment on the Astros, or is that fair? Well, the question you're asking is, is the punishment handed out to the Astros a deterrent? So as a team president for 18 years, would I, after this punishment, change what I was doing because I hadn't gotten caught yet? And the answer is yes. And the deterrents were the draft picks. More than the $5 million, more than having to fire people out of my uh, front office, losing draft picks will set back the Houston Astros. 
I never would have gone so far as to break the rules in this way, so I never had to worry about penalties like that. That said, if I'm running a team now, I'm paying very close attention to the PR fallout of this, which is even greater than the Astros losing their draft picks. There's also another controversial MLB uh, topic right now. Commissioner Rob Manfred is reportedly recommending changes to the playoff system. It would allow seven teams in each league to make the postseason. Do you think that change is good or bad for baseball? Oh, I think it's great. I was always in favor of expanding the playoffs. I want as many cities as possible to have an opportunity to play in October, which I had a chance to be a president of a team that won a World Series in 2003. When you're hearing criticisms of it, you're hearing it from players, and they're taking that position because of collective bargaining. This is a collective bargaining issue, and you never want to agree to anything that management says when you're part of the union because you're going to save it for a trade later in the negotiation. But trust me, the playoffs will be expanded. I know for a lot of members of my family, this is their favorite time of the year, spring training. Just getting started, all eyes right now on the Los Angeles Dodgers. They just traded for superstar outfielder Mookie Betts and starting pitcher David Price. What kind of pressure do you think is on the Dodgers in their 2020 season? Well, the Dodgers, as you know, in the World Series two out of the last three years, but they haven't won a ring since 1988. They refuse under Andrew Friedman, who used to run the Tampa Bay Rays, who now is with the Dodgers. They don't sign big free agents. They took David Price for $16 million a year for three years, and they've never given more than $55 million to a free agent. Mookie Betts is a one-year guy, and even if they don't re-sign him, the way this trade works is them not just getting to the World Series, it's winning the World Series. And that's a big wait to see. David Sampson, thank you so much. Thank you. And, and there, there you have it. I, I, I did uh, make a mistake in the description. There was part of the press conference there. I appreciate our friends over at CBS.com uh, for allowing us to use that. But, yes, the point being is was <laughs> I don't think the Astros went far enough. To, I think the Astros just did what they did to just to say, you know, when you're a kid, the parents say, now go apologize to your brother. Okay, I'm sorry. And didn't really mean it. What we are going to do, though, though, is we are going to get into this press conference. We've got about five or ten minutes that we could play of it. Uh, we're not going to be able to play all of it, but we'll go ahead and play as much of it as we can. You'll get a good idea of that. And then we'll come back on the back end and, and finish off this segment and get ready uh, for our Daytona 500 talk. Here is uh, the press conference uh, with the Houston Astros. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of HQ. Jeremy St. Louis alongside Brandon Baylor and David Sampson. The Houston Astros holding a press conference on Thursday morning. And this just in, they have apologized <laughs> for their role in the sign-stealing scandal. Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve both making statements before the media and then basically just walking away. But taking questions is owner Jim Crane. Dusty Baker is also there. Uh, Jim Crane was asked about the fallout in terms of how this affects Major League Baseball. Let's take a listen. Listen, we, we're staying focused on the Astros. Um, it's not my job to deal with those other teams. Uh, I'm sure the commissioner will handle that appropriately. Um, we're glad to, you know, if, if there's a silver lining here, um, we're glad to get this behind us and get spring training started. And we feel very fortunate to have Dusty and James Click here. Okay, Tyler. Jim, you, you mentioned right off the top there that the players, uh, I think, did not receive proper guidance from their leaders, but the league's official report says it was a player-driven scheme. Do you think it was it was not driven by the players, or why do you absolve the players, it sounds like, of, of blame for this? Well, the, the commissioner's report was very thorough, and they did a lot of work on it. Um, 
where, where the commissioner came down, which I agree with him, is that it could have been stopped and it wasn't stopped and people had knowledge of it based upon the report. So um, we hold those two guys accountable um, for what happened and, and not, not stopping that action. Okay, another question, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, Mr. Crane, what do you have to say to the Yankees and teams that you beat in 17? Listen, the, the Yankees have had a few comments out there. Um, you know, our opinion is, um, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, we had a good team. Um, we won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. Another question? Chandler, right here. Jim, are you confident your team didn't use any wearable devices or buzzers during the 2019 season? Uh, the commissioner addressed that in the report, and, I, and I'm confident it's accurate. Um, I've discussed it with the players, and they've assured me that nothing like that ever happened. There's no substance to that whatsoever. And um, I believe AJ made a comment last night and, and, and cleared that up. Um, I, I truly believe there was no buzzers ever, and I don't even know where that came from. So. Okay, Mark. Okay, that's yours. Okay, right here up front. Okay, we'll go to uh, Jeff first and then over here. Jim, when talking about the Yankees there, did you say you feel like this didn't impact the game? And what do you mean by that? I, I didn't say it didn't impact the game. Basically, you know, as the commissioner said in his report, he's not going to go backwards. Um, it's hard to, to determine how it impacted the game, if it impacted the game, and that's where we're going to leave it. Okay, right over here. Jim, after the Wall Street Journal article came out last week, it sort of painted another picture of the sign stealing scandal also being driven through the front office. Have you guys had conversations with the front office staffers who are still here who may have been a part of the the, the scheme initially, and, and, and how can fans be ensured that everything is, uh, is above board considering some of the same folks are still around? Well, again, you know, the leader of that department has been fired. Um, I've had some time to, to review the department. You know, there will be some changes in there. Um, as the commissioner said, he wasn't going to count the lower-level people, uh, hold them accountable along with the players. I agree with that. Um, but we, we are reviewing the baseball operations. Uh, James Click and I will, will continue to work on that and, and put a structure together that we feel comfortable um, that this won't happen again in the future. Okay, over here. Carrie Sanders with NBC News. Was this cheating, and how does this reflect the feelings of the nation right now where we see a coarsening of rhetoric in this country where people seem to want to win at any cost, even if it includes cheating? Well, listen, we, we don't endorse uh, the actions that took place. We, we've apologized. Um, you know, it's, it's been tough on the team and tough on the city and, and tough on the nation. I, I don't disagree with that. But the only thing we can do is sit here and, and, and say we're sorry. We're going to move forward in a positive way. And you can count us to be a positive force um, in delivering that message. All right, and that was uh, a portion of the press conference with the Houston Astros uh, a couple days ago uh, regarding their apologies in, in, in the um, um, cheating scandal, if you will, the, the, uh, with the with the Houston Astros. We've got a poll up on our on our uh, Twitter. Go there and check that out and vote. 
uh, on that. Was it sufficient or more or more should be done? Go vote on that at uh, at T-Balance. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. It is Daytona 500 weekend, baby. That's right. Myself, uh, uh, Steve Wilson from the Speedway Digest uh, joins us, and also Tony Donahue will be joining us as well as we get into this Daytona uh, 500 talk and get ready to rock and roll. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. This place is special, man. When you go through the tunnel here, it's something, some kind of vibe you get uh, when you roll in for the first time. 20 years of trying, 20 years of frustration. Dale Earnhardt will come to the caution flag to win the Daytona 500. The 98, obviously, going to victory lane there was cool. I was a kid. I didn't know what I was experiencing at the time, but I knew it was such a happy time for everybody that was involved. I love to love this place. I mean, it's just it's one of those places that adrenaline is filling uh, you up from the time you enter the gate. That's tough. I haven't had a whole lot of good moments down here uh, myself, but I think just being in that first one uh, it was a, probably the best thing, uh, the coolest thing I've done. Outside that, a lot of wrecking um, and disappointments, but I think just being here for that first one and just the experience of that and uh, you know, coming down here for your first Daytona 500 is a, it's a special thing. For myself, it was obviously last year. Uh, being there at the end and just kind of making the wrong move on that last lap, coming out of two and dropping a few spots. But it was uh, it was great missing those wrecks. But uh, if it wasn't me personally, I would say watching Dale win his first dates on a 500. That was that was you know everybody kind of felt that little bit of special feeling you know that they had. I think the obvious is <clears throat> obviously finished second in Daytona 500 2018, uh, having a good run there, good speed weeks really. Um, don't really remember, remember where we qualified, but finished third in the duels, got up to the front a little bit, fell back, got up to the front again, fell back, kind of like a an accordion effect, but uh, ended up coming out somewhat close to the front, almost on top, and uh, reliving that moment is something you do kind of do every day and every race really to bring back that excitement, that momentum, so we're definitely going to be riding that 
um, when it comes this Sunday for the Daytona 500. The Daytona 500. This isn't just another race. It's a run at history. Sunday at 2.30 Eastern on Fox. My name is Tom Mark Marcel, Presidente. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, talking about uh, some of the IndyCar funny seasons. And one of the things we talked about was a change to the purse. Uh, it increased by $2 million. A lot of enhancements uh, out there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, 30 new big uh, viewing boards uh, to help try to get information, predominantly information, but they're certainly able to uh, view the race in uh, all parts of the track and a lot of enhancements going on there. We talked a lot about uh, the drivers and what's going on there and, and what we think, nothing official, but by process of elimination and using our noggins, uh, we kind of think that uh, James Hinscliffe will end up in the uh, Andretti stable for the Indianapolis uh, 500. So we'll see how that plays out. And this last half hour, we're talking and breaking down MLB and the and the uh, scandal with the Houston Astros and their quasi-scandal. Um, Apology. Played a little bit of the press conference. We got a poll up on our on our social media on T Balance. Uh, go there and vote on our poll. Uh, was it sufficient, or does more need to be done by the Houston Astros? But it is Daytona 500 weekend, and it is time to begin our talk with uh, Daytona 500. Steve Wilson, of the Speedway Digest editor in chief of Speedway Digest, and in a, in a few minutes, also Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast is going to be joining us to be talking uh, NASCAR. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, Daytona weekend. I, I take it you're down. In, you're down in Daytona, correct? Yes, I'm. I'm down here this weekend. Fantastic! What a great truck race that was last night. Talk with us a little bit about that. Effinger uh, has a nail biter of a win in the in the uh, uh, Gander trucks. Uh, still trying to get used to saying that there in Daytona. <laughs> Yeah, it's a mouthful for sure. Try and get it all in there. I'm just going to shorten it down to NASCAR Truck Series, and uh, that way <laughs> I don't go. try and mistake anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, but yeah, last last night it was uh it was all Grant Infinger that uh, there at the end of that race. He seemed to be able to just put that truck wherever he needed to go, and he had a lot of help from. Uh, uh, Todd Gillen, who had uh, switched over to uh, a Ford this year from uh, KBM that he was running with last year in Toyota, and uh, Grant, and, Grant and him were uh, were able to make some moves, and you know Todd was able to get a lot of pushing out there and helping him out uh, throughout those closing stages. Unfortunately, that kind of last wreck uh, kind of put Gillen in a bad spot where he got caught up in somebody else's incident. Um, he did end up with a good finish his own self, but he just wasn't able to get back up there and help um, help as much as he, he had he had been in, in the earlier goings of the race. But um, it was a good race. There was a lot of um, those those trucks were getting very very dicey and twitchy there towards the end. But that's kind of the uh, how it goes in some of these restrict oh well these uh, super speedway races. And, 
trucks that they're going out there and they're trying to get everything they can and you know we we saw multiple incidents throughout the night and uh, I think the one everybody's probably got in their head is Todd Majeski uh, rolling on his roof and riding the roof all the way uh, down in deep into turn one and uh, them having to get him out of that truck after uh, it ended up you know like that and just sitting on his roof stopped there in turn one and had a couple of big ones that uh, took out some very strong trucks. Greg uh, Rhodes was another guy that seemed to have a very strong truck there um, towards the, you know, through the middle part of the races. And uh, Chris Deck is uh, at the beginning of the race. He led a lot of laps of himself. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for those guys, but, you know, it's super speedway racing. And, you know, really a lot of them say that, you know, their season starts next week when they get to Las Vegas. Well, absolutely. NASCAR is here. It is is ready to go. It's Daytona uh, weekend all week. And we've seen uh, various different races from various different series. Uh, but last week, uh, we watched uh, the uh, the clash, if you will, the Bush clash. They should have called it the Bush crash. I don't think there was not any car. And I know we were texting back and forth. I mean, it was total mayhem. Fun to watch. Glad nobody was hurt, but man, did they destroy some cars and spend a lot of money uh, last week at, at at the clash? Yeah, you're you're right. There, at the end there, there's only about five or six cars uh, out of the original eighteen that started that thing. Uh, so many different wrecks, so many different torn up race cars throughout that. But uh, Joe Gibbs had even mentioned that he he feels like he spent a million dollars just to win a trophy. So, you know, for them, that's that's a lot of carnage and a lot of uh, cars. But I guess you can take solace in the fact that uh, these these cars are going to be obsolete at the end of the year. So they don't have to rebuild them. They can just junk these cars and be done with them. Well, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's the silver lining in the cloud, right? Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the the duels on Thursday. Started off with a kind of a wet, rainy night, but it ended up a late night. I have to admit that I had to get up because I had a, a 9:30 meeting, so I didn't get to catch it all. But I caught caught the highlights. Uh, Joey Logano uh, wins the duels. Uh, give us a recap on the duels from Thursday night. Yeah, um, you know, Johnny Donnie went out there and just said he won the first duel. And, you know, we all thought that uh, Kevin Harvick was going to win the second duel, which, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, uh, that would have, they, they would have been back to back winners the first time that it happened since 1962. Um, 1961, 1962, respectively, Fireball Roberts and Joe Weatherly were the last ones to do that. Said went back-to-back in, in the dual races, qualifying races for the Daytona 500. So, uh, unfortunately, Kevin Harvick wasn't able to maintain that second one. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, William Byron was uh, able to eat that second one out there uh, at the end. Talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, uh, how frustrating is it for Daniel Suarez uh, not to be able to be in this year's Daytona 500? I'm sure it's very frustrating for him, but, you know, the the reality of it is is that they didn't bring a strong enough car to begin with. They were way off the pace right from the get-go. Even on qualifying day, they seem to be way, way down. Uh, you know, typically these, these fields aren't spread out by, you know, just a matter of just a couple of miles an hour. But uh, that number 96 uh, car that, that was brought down there, it just was very far off the pace uh, on the speed board. So, 
you know, while he, uh, you know, we even saw in the, the dual races where that car just wasn't able to get up to the front. There was a couple times where he was just barely in position to be able to uh, make it into the Daytona 500 had it not been for that that accident that took him out. But I think the Gaunt brothers and everybody will uh, have to take this as an experience as to what they do next and uh, make the needed changes so that they can make the races because at this point they don't have a charter. They're they're out of the they're out of all the races um, unless they can find a charter to buy or they're just going to have to show up on speed and be able to 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 do this thing and the few open spots that even are available anymore. Yeah, and, and absolutely, you're right. They didn't bring a, a strong enough cars, but I tell you what, though, uh, there by the grace of God go I on some of these these other cars. I mean, because you look at uh, you look at Blaney and Lejoy, uh, all uh, forced to backup cars, all of that, and then we saw the results of what happened uh, last Saturday. Real quickly, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's just, again, it's just a product of the environment that the super speedway races are. And, you you know, we, for a long time there, we had all kinds of rules that allowed, uh, teams to replace engines and do all kinds of crazy things between, you know, qualifying day and after the dual events into the Daytona 500. So, um, you know, I think, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, you know, Ryan Blaney's standpoint, that, that car was just wrecked beyond repair and, and when you're talking about these aero races like this, there's just there was just no way that car was going to be able to perform like it needed to perform. So, uh, you know, just it's just any other race that's that for their situation, it's just like any other race where you wreck a qualifying or whatever practice, and you have to go to a backup car. So, hopefully, whatever they brought is their second car, or you know, may, or whatever the case is that they brought back down here or repaired or whatever they did. You know, hopefully that second car is ready to go and. Um, it seems to be, and what we've seen in practice, the, the practice yesterday, and uh, I, I think for them they'll be okay. Steve Wilson joins us uh, live from Daytona, Florida, at the Daytona 500 Speedway Digest editor and chief official NASCAR uh, contributor. We appreciate him joining us. Also joining us now, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast, uh, part of the local media here in Indianapolis. And I know you've been around uh, chasing race cars for a while here in Indianapolis. Uh, so uh, what, are, what are your thoughts about the Daytona 500 this year? Yeah, I'm sure you guys have touched on it. I mean, it's just an absolute crapshoot, uh, and you've got to survive to get to the end to have a chance. I mean, we saw it in the truck race last night. Um, there was guys up there that a lot of people probably never even heard of battling for the win. Um, we'll probably see the same thing today in the Xfinity race. It's, it's, it's just kind of getting to that last, I would say, 15 laps Um unfazed and really you don't even have to be unfazed i mean we saw what eric jones did last week when he pulled in the victory circle in the clash he looked like terry labani's banged up 1995 run <laughs> in bristol um so yeah you just really have to get to the end here um you can't make mistakes on pit road um but but at daytona it's, you, you can't lose a draft and we're going to see today or seriously tomorrow we're going to see the fords working together um, the Toyotas working together, the Chevys working together, and when that happens, you gotta you gotta be careful, especially when these cars come on the pit road, as we saw in one of the duels where uh, Daniel Suarez was eliminated and lost his chance to make the Daytona 500 because he was kind of sucked up in that pack of Fords, um, as you guys are just mentioning, and Ryan Blaney got into him and crashed, uh, and that took him out of the Daytona 500. So communication is key here. Everything happens in a split second. It should be a good race. Um, but yeah, if, if you're asking me for a winner, I mean, put your 
put your, put every name into a hat and pull one out, and you got probably got a better <laughs> chance than uh, actually sitting down and trying to break this down. You know, uh, as we saw last week, Steve, uh, it, it, it's going to be total mayhem, and maybe even today, but certainly tomorrow. It's not a matter of if the big one happens. It's a matter of when, and the closer we get to the end of the race, the, the more anticipation happens with that big one. Uh, talk with us a little bit about, you know, we like to watch that. We like to see the carnage. We don't want to see anybody hurt, but uh, the big one is bound to happen tomorrow, Steve. There's no doubt that it's going to happen, and sometimes it's just a matter of when it's going to happen. Um, I mean, it was so strange in the in the clash. We saw the whole field being taken out on a green flag run, and they weren't even up to speed yet. So, you know, if it can happen in racing, it will happen in racing, and that's what I kind of always say about those situations. But, you know, the impatient parts are, are going to come in at the end of the stages with people trying to jockey for position, try and get some stage points. So, you know, we've traditionally seen some of these wrecks or even smaller incidents happen around those times. But, yeah, as you start to close in on laps, last 10, 15, 20 laps or something like that, um, these teams are really just going to be up on the wheel. The friendships have gone out the window. Uh, the teammates gone out of the window. The manufacturers have gone out the window. And, uh, you, we're, we're a lot to see a lot of two and three and four wide racing out there towards the end of the race, and, and ev- inevitably it will probably end in calamity like it like it typically has. Although I mean we've seen some of these races um, go a good long green flag runs, and we thought that these three and four wide racing would would create calamity, and and it didn't. But these are supposed to be the best race car drivers in the world, and. Uh, A lot of them, uh, it's not through no fault of their own that they get caught up in these incidents. Speaking of incidents, Tony, we'll talk. We'll go. We'll ask you about this. Last week, one of the big uh, wrecks that we saw involved uh, Brad Klamowski, Joey Logano, uh, Kurt Busch, uh, or Kyle Busch. One of the Bushes, I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, a lot of this had to do with Joey Logano doing what we call a double block. And if you're going to block, okay, that's fine. And you're going to go up high, that's fine. If you go low, but pick your lane to stay in it. He didn't do that, but I think a lot of it could be attributed to a racing incident. Uh, but certainly. In the moment, it, 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 it created one of the big wrecks, one of the bigger wrecks that we saw, and certainly uh, karma came back uh, uh, to, to bite them uh, uh, later on in the race. But when you look at that, would you consider that wreck, particularly with Brad Koloski, uh, uh, um, Kurt Busch, uh, that whole group there, a, a result of something that Joey Logano could have done better or different? Well, when you kind of look at it, it was interesting because they're teammates, and, and, and Keselowski had some, some good uh, comments after the race about Disney World and dealing with it. Look, here's the bottom line is when you're out front, you're, you're almost a sitting duck, and you have to block. You block the lane with the momentum, and sometimes you make that block a split second too late, and it ends up in carnage. But the fact of the matter, especially late in the race that you guys were talking about, when it's down in the nitty-gritty and we see these wrecks, because if you don't block the lane that's coming – and you get hung out to dry in a third lane with no help, you go from first back to 15th, and you can't afford to do that with 10 laps to go. Now, you would hope that in the first, I don't know, 350 miles of the race tomorrow that people would would, would, would give up those positions and know they can work their way back. But with 10, 15 laps to go, when it gets down in the money laps, uh, you've got to block those lanes because if you let another lane get momentum, whether it's the top or the bottom, you can easily go from first back to eighth, ninth, tenth real quick. So um, it's just about making those blocks at the right time. 
Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is the guy that I'm going to watch for tomorrow starting on the pole. Um, he always he, – he's feast or famine at these uh, super speedway races. He's, he's won a couple of Talladega, but he normally ends up being involved uh, or starting the big one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially late in the stretch. You would hope that they would ride around, you know, two lanes, maybe three lanes for the first 200, 250 miles, and then get to that final pit stop after that final stage where you got a, you got a good run. Uh, and, and settle in. So um, it's just about making the block at the right time and, 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 and put yourself in position to, to to stop the momentum of the lane that's coming. Well, we, we know that starting at the pole doesn't always uh, equate to a big win in Daytona. Well, Indianapolis either, for that matter. Uh, joining us uh, from Daytona, Florida, is Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. We appreciate you joining us, uh, Steve. And Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast uh, joining us. We're talking about the uh, Daytona 500. Uh, uh, Steve, let's talk about the farewell tour of Jimmy Johnson begins uh, this week was pretty much already begun. Uh, I'm sure that Daytona uh, Speedway has something special in line for uh, Jimmy Johnson, but what, what do you know about what they've got planned and what are they going to do there in Daytona tomorrow to honor Jimmy Johnson? Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, just like we've seen in previous years, for every driver that has come through and retired in the last couple of years, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, et cetera. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna go out there and they're gonna roll the red carpets out for him. They're gonna um they're gonna show some of the accomplishments that he's um over his career in NASCAR, his seven championships that he's been able to uh, accumulate over that time. So there's a lot of different things that they're that they're gonna put together and you know, this is this is gonna be an ongoing thing that we're just not gonna see at Daytona for every track that he goes to from this point on out. They'll have something in, in in their own way or another, and some tracks he's been more successful at than the others. And you know, speedway racing for him has, <clears throat> excuse me, had not necessarily been the greatest for him. He's always he's he, he's had that roller coaster up and down. He's had some of the highs of the highs, but uh, more of the low of the lows. And but I, I guess a lot of people could say that in speedway racing. But uh, I think we expect just some. I guess we 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 still kind of look at uh you know what Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt Jr. were uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. were able to do at these speedway races and um you know even Dale, uh, Richard Petty won seven times Dale Sr. only won once it took him over 20 years of trying to get this thing done and he finally did it so um you know I guess we look at some of the other greats in speedway racing and uh, for Jimmy Johnson um you know for for all the accomplishments that he had I. Uh, I, I think a lot of times it's right on par as to, you know, some of these other champions. Uh, I guess uh, Richard Petty is the anomaly in the fact of winning seven days in the 500s. But, uh, you know, even Jeff Gordon and a lot of these other guys um, ha- have won Daytona 500s, but they've just had low lows, and, you know, for, 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 the, for the track to go out there and um, acknowledge some of those accomplishments that he has had. Uh, and, and the victories that he has pulled out there in Daytona and, you know, all the tracks that are about to come up throughout the remaining schedule is uh, just a testament of uh, who Jimmy Johnson is and the career he's built and, um, you know, all the wins that he's put up on the board and records he's broken and just some of the things that, you know, we've seen in the modern era that we never thought would ever be accomplished. Well, we got the Xfinity race today, guys, and a lot of uh, more action out there at the Daytona uh, Speedway. Uh, Tony, we look at this Xfinity race as far as standing-wise. Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, 
Christopher Bell, uh, Justin Algager, and and Chase Briscoe round out the uh, the top five. And uh, Ford, as you mentioned earlier, certainly being uh, the dominant force in t- in the Xfinity Series. Uh, as we look at today's race, what are your thoughts? Oh uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who comes up with partnerships, who's going to be, um, you, you know, there at the end. Reddick is a guy who's running the Daytona 500. He's got a lot of experience. Um, you look at some of the other. I, I really like Chase Briscoe. He's out of Mitchell, Indiana. He's always fast. Uh, so look for him to uh, to stay up front. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of inexperienced drivers in this as well that are going to have a chance to really compete. So you you, you tend to look towards uh, the guys like Justin Allgaier that have the experience um, in this race to be up front throughout the day. Um, but what I really like about this race is, like we saw last night in the Truck Series, like Natalie Decker finishing in the top five last night. Um, you know, Anderson was second. Nobody really had even heard of him. Um, it's just about um, getting towards the front and staying up there and having a chance because, you know, and there's going to be a lot of Cup Series drivers that are watching this race today knowing that, hey, what, what can I learn? What can I what, – what's going on? with the top lane, with the bottom lane that I can use tomorrow. Um, you know, you keep an eye on a guy like Noah Gregson. He's always seems to be aggressive, seems to be a guy um, who can, who can find himself up towards the front. Um, and there's just a lot of young talent in today's race that I think um, is going to have a chance to possibly put themselves in victory lane, or at least a position to win uh, for the first times in their career. Steve Wilson, you're down there in Daytona. You're down there in the thick of it all. You're you're going through the garages. You're 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 going to the the press conferences. Uh, uh, give us the, the the look and feel of what's going on in Daytona this weekend as these teams get ready for the Daytona 500. What are some of the, their strategies? What are some of the things that the teams are looking at? What are some of the things that you have noticed uh, down in the pits and the garages and uh, the press conferences of the Daytona 500 this year? Um, I, I mean, we've got a lot of people still kicking the rust off from the off season, but um, you know, as 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 it has in the past, it continues to be uh, these teams uh, inch closer and closer of working together. And you know, Ford has done a really good job over it after the last after the last couple of Daytona 500s or so that they've really uh, changed the dynamic in which these races uh, run and. For a while there, they were kind of powerhouses into the way that they, as a manufacturer, ran together. And it took some time for Chevy and Toyota to catch on to this, but they're finally starting to catch on. I think Chevrolet is probably at this point probably the furthest behind in that in that um, working together because there just are so many people that are running Chevrolets um, between uh, you know all varying different degrees of, uh, of of what they're able to bring to the track and. Uh, you know, Toyota seems to be bringing the best cars to, uh, to the track over their entire stable or the ones that are able to make it into the day 2500. And uh, for for Ford, it seems to be the same thing. You only have one or two or three, maybe four teams that, you know, are not as strong as uh, some of the front runners like a Penske or a Stuart Haas Racing. But, uh, you know, Chevrolet is going to have to try and um, pick this thing up and, uh, with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. being on the pole like he is, Alex Bowman on the outside pole, that um, you know they seem to be they seem to be strong. They seem to be able to uh, to they they've done a lot of work at JTD JTG Doherty Racing. Good lord, that's a lot to <laughs> say. Say that fast three um, times. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, you know, they've worked very, very, very hard and brought Breaky Stenhouse Jr. They brought a fast, fast car, but you know, uh, as we've already talked about, um, you know, Ricky has, uh, you know, he, we, a lot of people look at him in a different degree and how many wrecks that he's caused at these super speedways. So, who works with him uh, in the long term? I guess we'll find out. But he seems to at least have a fast car from the from the get go. All right, guys, here comes the time where we got to get your pick for the Daytona 500. Uh, Tony Donahue, I think you kind of alluded, you tipped your hat a little bit who you might go with, uh, but you're the betting man in the group. If you're going to put some money on the, on the, on the winner, who, who's, your, who's, your, who's your guaranteed lock-it-in winner? Uh, well, you know me, there's no such thing as a guaranteed lock, but I'll go with Denny Hamlin. Um, he's won two out of the last three, I believe, two out of the last four. He's always there at the end. Um, he's got a great pit crew. I like Denny Hamlin. Some value plays that I like. Um, Austin Dillon, Kyle Larson are all 30-1. to 1. So is Eric Jones at 30-1. to 1. I think that's a good option betting-wise. Um, I'll place my annual bet on Michael McDowell. Uh, $10 will pay $80. Uh, he was, he's always right there. Michael McDowell, on, under fun and equipment, but that Furniture Row racing team with John Hunter Nemechek, and David Reagan coming out of retirement. They're, they're a team I think we're going to see lead some laps tomorrow. And then uh, Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell is fast. He's exciting. He's a rookie. He's got a lot to prove. And he's in that number 95 car that led the most laps last year with Matt Benedetto behind the wheel. And speaking of De Benedetto, at 25-1, to 1, he's a good pick, too, in the Wood Brothers 21. We appreciate that, Tony. And, and, Tony, I know you've got your own podcast and stuff going on with the betting world. It's not just racing. Uh, so those those people that like to uh, spend a little bit of money, they can catch you where? Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Tony D Indy. Uh, you'll see the link to my podcast and some of the other stuff I do. And we'll uh, we'll be talking throughout Daytona. And uh, before you know it, IndyCar will be right around the corner with that open test that happened earlier this week. Real quick, Tony, before we let you go, and then we'll wrap up uh, this uh, this segment, uh, Steve. Uh, but, Tony, last, we're going to go back last week to Bloomington. How powerful was that? I went to IU. I was there during the Bobby Knight uh, era. I know we're getting a little bit off track, no pun intended, but I wanted to get your thoughts real quickly on the return of Bobby Knight. I mean, thank God Bobby Knight returned, right, because we'd be talking about the crappy performance uh, that was on the floor. Oh, my IU, gosh. Which was not very Heck good. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. I got to see Bobby later on the night at the Pacer game. Um, That's awesome. You know, people get old, but I'm glad that um, he was able to come to come back to IU before um, things really took a turn for the worse. And it seemed like everybody except for Dan Dockage embraced him. Uh, so you kind of have to uh, – you, you, you kind of got to like that and uh, put a smile on your face, whether – you were a Purdue fan or an IU fan. All right, Tony, we appreciate you. Have yourself a, a good weekend, sir. Thanks a lot for joining. You too. Take care. Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Uh, picks Denny Hamlin. Uh, Melissa, our social media director, is keeping track of, of our winners uh, for tomorrow's uh, Daytona 500. So it's time for you, Steve. Uh, give it up. Your official pick. Now, you get bragging rights, and, and you know, you got you got to – Bring your A game on this, but who is your official pick on the for the Daytona 500 2020? I think as long as he can stay out of the wrecks, um, Brad Keselowski has always shown himself to be a very strong uh, super speedway racer. 
and he's pulled a lot of these super speedway races out of his hat. Um, he seems to be a good blocker. Uh, after they got their car fixed up, it seems like it's a fast car. So uh, for I'm going to pick uh, Brad Keselowski going in to win the Daytona 500 tomorrow. Well, fantastic. And, you know, I know you're a baseball fan like myself. Uh, you're a Nationals fan. I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan. And I know you got a lot going on with the racing. But did you get a chance uh, to listen to the Astros' quasi-apology? And, and and if so, do you think it was good enough? Or do you just think, it, you know, you do with your kids, they'll go tell your brother and sister you're sorry. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And they don't really mean it. They're just doing it because they're going through the motions. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Astros and their – uh, what I call a pathetic performance of an apology. <laughs> um, I, I, I caught a couple of like highlight clips onto it, so I didn't get the you know the whole deal that they had you know rolled out there. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of yeah, you're right. It's kind of like going through the motions. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> and I'm just kind of move on. So you're a dad you know how that goes right <laughs> yeah 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 look i said i'm sorry it's all better now yeah <laughs> that's right all right hey, hey i enjoy the enjoy the sunshine because it was bitter cold here in indianapolis yesterday like three degrees 10 degrees i think it's going to get up into the 30s today so it's a, a heat wave so uh, enjoy the sunshine and, and, and soak up some of it and send some of it our way uh if you don't mind while you're down there in daytona <laughs> well I, I don't think i'm gonna leave i think i'll just stay down here and not go back <laughs> There you go. There you're a permanent spot. All right, Steve, we'll talk with you soon, buddy. Enjoy the race. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Make sure you go on our poll on, on Twitter and vote. Uh, did, was this apology by the Houston Astros good enough, or does more need to be done? So far, 100% of those that have voted have said more needs to be done. So we'll get into that. Thank you, Tony Donahue of Tony D Podcast, joining us. Our official picks. So far, Denny Hamlin, Matthew Embry, Denny Hamlin, uh, Tony Donahue, Brad Kolosky, uh, uh Steve Wilson, myself, wait for it, drumroll, Chase Elliott wins his first Daytona 500, and uh, Melissa will get her pick up, and then we'll do some bragging rights after the race tomorrow to see who, who gets the kudos if any of us, it may not be any of us, because we know that there's going to be uh, calamity uh, uh, for sure. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be back right after this with the um, we'll be back right after this with more talk with about the Astros, the XFL, and just well, we're going to BS about sports with Mo for the BS Sports Show. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs> Time all day long. Here they come. Checker flag. Two close to 
telling you now. A multi-car pileup. Oh, Elliott no. slam into the wall. Can't do that. That's a fight. He's got momentum up top. Two back. Get high. Hey, oh yeah. Denny Hamlin wins his second Daytona 500. Yeah. Yeah. This one's for Dale Earnhardt Sr. and all those senior fans. I'm going to cry. <laughs> The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got me. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. The great American race. You don't get a name like that by chance. No, that's something you earn. Because this isn't just another race. It's a run at history. The movement has started. The future is near. New league, new teams, a new story starts here. Where a nation began. We're big nose, no bounds. We're hot, we'll be hotter. Time to turn up this sound. Where glamour meets grit. Where empires are grown. Where great things launch and the game returns home. Eight hungry cities, one less of the same. We're doing it different, reimagining the game. This is Dallas, Tampa, St. Louis, NYC. It's Seattle, Houston, LA, and DC. It's happening, get ready, time to scream, time to yell. This is football reborn. This is the XFL. Well, 
Welcome back to the balance. We're going to our final quarter of the show. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, helping us kick things off uh, with some IndyCar talk. How funny season. We talked about the purse uh, being extended by $2 million to $15 million for the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500. A lot of enhancements going on there. And we think by process of elimination, we have figured out uh, where James Hinchcliffe will end up at, and that's Andretti. Uh, no official, no official announcements, just by process of announcement. Uh, 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 elimination and, and using my brain, uh, and then, which is very dangerous to do. And then we talked uh, a little bit, and we're getting into more about this in just a moment here with Mo, who's standing by with us, um, about this Astros, what I think it was a pathetic apology. And we got a poll up on Twitter, uh, go up there and vote. Uh, was it sufficient or does more need to be done? So we're going to get into more of that. So we had uh, more conversation, played a little bit of the press conference uh, of the Astros on that. And then in the last half hour, we've been talking about the granddaddy of them all, the Daytona 500. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest was live. And Daytona gave us a call. Also, Tony Donahue with Tony D Podcast. We got our picks are in. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm going with Chase Elliott. Uh, uh, Brad, I mean, Brad Klossy's with Steve uh, Wilson. Diddy Hamill and both Matt and uh, Tony, and we'll get Mo's pick here in just a minute. But joining us now is Mo uh, from the BS Sports Show. Mo, how is you, sir? Mo, can you hear us? We see you there. <laughs> well, Mo. Hello? Okay, we, we got you now. You there? Were you on mute or what? <laughs> you know, Tom, sometimes it's, uh, it happens like that, but I'm happy to be with you today. Hey, man, it's all good. Before we move forward to anything else, who's your pick for the Daytona 500? Uh, you know, in his last year, and I had a, a debate with a couple of uh, Dale Earnhardt, uh, senior candidate, the greatest racer to ever live, Jimmy Johnson. So Jimmy Johnson's your pick? Well, that's really the only guy I know. So, yes, I'm going to, <laughs> really, really Go with the guy you know, man. Go with the guy you know. Well, we, we, won't, we won't talk too much at NASCAR uh, with you. Let's kind of begin the round-the-clock conversation with you. Well, let's pick up this conversation with the Houston Astros as we're kicking off uh, spring training. The Houston Astros had their, their uh, press conference and kind of did the quasi, what I think, a pathetic apology. We've kind of equated it to, uh, you, you know, as, as a – as a parent, you're telling your kid, now go apologize to your brother or go apologize to your sister. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, they're doing it. They're going through the motions. Uh, no players got any type of rep, uh, reprimand. I mean, come on. They're adults. They, they don't need supervision. And just because the MLB did not uh, enforce punishment, I think the Astros could have done a little bit more. I know they fired their leadership, but that just tells me that, that – uh, uh, Managers and coaches are expendable. Uh, players are not. Uh, what What are your thoughts as as we saw that uh, pathetic apology, if you will, uh, unfold uh, in, in Houston Astros spring training camp this year? Well, I will harken back to the uh, days of the 1980s to one of my heroes, uh, Bobby DeBrain, who said, "When if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat." Now, you know, it's uh, it, here's the thing: if you're this, the only of this to me falls on Major League Baseball. If they uh, they decided not to come down on the players with suspension, okay, that uh, that was their decision. But if you're the Houston Astros at this point, you are World Series champion. 
you don't want to have that taken away from you. So if you're the players, why open yourself up to saying anything in an apology that could open you up to maybe a harder look or another investigation? So if I'm a player from the Houston Astros at this point or the MVP of that year, Jose Altuve, I'm not saying a word because nothing happened to me, no suspensions, no punishments. Uh, if I'm one of the Astros, I'm not saying a word. I, I'm not apologizing. I'm not saying anything because I don't want somebody – uh, to come looking at me, or worse yet, remember when, uh, you know, with the steroids, when Congress came sniffing around uh, Major League Baseball. So I understand people are pissed that uh, the Astros uh, and Britton McClain, their owner, didn't come out and give a better apology. But if you're a player who didn't get caught up in this and didn't get suspended and didn't get in trouble, why do anything to incriminate yourself? So uh, at this point, uh, if I'm an Astros player, Tom, I'm not saying anything. Not, not a word to nobody. I'm not apologizing. I'm not saying anything because I'm not looking to get myself in trouble at this point when I've, when I've slid uh, through this scot free. You know, that's a valid point. And, and, I, and I started this conversation uh, in our se- second segment. You know, I've been around baseball my whole life. I love baseball. It's my favorite sport to go Cardinals. But you, you, you kind of know, you're kind of taught from a young age that signal stealing is just part of the game. It's, it's, it's baked in the cake, if you will. And we remember as kids, as we played baseball, standing on, on second base and being able to try to figure out the signals. And, of course, we were all just kids at that point. But it doesn't change when they get up to the major league level. That, that second base uh, view is a perfect view for the signals. There's a reason the batters never look down. The, it's the integrity of the game. And there's a reason that they go out to the mound to cover their, their, their faces with their gloves and, and uh, because they know that people steal these signals. I think where the Astros went wrong, they, took it to, they, they brought 2020 modern technology with video, sound, buzzers, and banging on the trash can, man. Bang on the trash can. Bang on the drum all day. <laughs> What's that? Well, you know, here's the thing. If you, if we, if we want to think for one second that the Astros are the only ones that have done this, I think that's 100% correct. You know, it, it was a pitcher who played for the Astros who kind of tipped off the the batters uh, on his new team, which pitchers do all the time. You know, when they go from one team to another, they'll they'll tip off players about certain things. Same when uh, you know a football player goes from one one team to another, they'll tip off about the offensive things or defensive things or certain calls. So if we think the Astros were the only team doing this. I think uh, that's 100% incorrect. Unfortunately, the Astros were able to, uh, you know, they left some type of evidence that could be seen or uh, heard, uh, you know, so that they, they could get caught. But if we think that the Astros are the only team to ever do this, Tom, I think that we're putting our heads in the sand because every team, every athlete, and every major sport looks for an advantage. And it's not just baseball. But baseball has all these unwritten rules which I think have kept baseball falling behind. We see the NBA uh, constantly evolving. We see the uh, NFL constantly evolving. And Major League Baseball always seems to be the last to do that. So I think a lot of these unwritten rules that we've had for 100 years are things that have held baseball back. And I love baseball as much as the next guy, but let's be honest. If I've got to choose between the NBA, uh, the NFL, or Major League Baseball at this point, I'm I'm taking one of the other two, uh, even hockey at this point, because it's much more exciting. So we know baseball is a slow game, and it used to be America's pastime, but it's been a long time since it's been that. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of these unwritten rules, quote-unquote, are things that have held baseball back. No, you're right, and we, we, we know for a fact that the Mets and the Red Sox, uh, they fired some people. So, yeah, no, it's not limited to the Astros. It's not limited to this year. It's going to continue on. I, I guess the, the, the old thing, you're not sorry you did it. You're just sorry you got caught. 
All right, let's move on up to your uh, neck of the woods. I know you cover the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the uh, Miles Garrett story, or I'm going to start calling him uh, the Jesse uh, Samal, uh, uh, the guy out of Chicago there who uh, who had all that, that fake stuff going on that he said that Trump, uh, people racist beat him up. Uh, uh, he said that uh, Rudolph, he reiterates the fact, Miles Garrett, that now that I can play again, I'm going to continue to play the race card. we got to let it go. You, you, you did your suspension. It's over with. Let's not let it happen again. It was a very dangerous situation. As you mentioned before on this show, Miles Garrett's a stand-up guy. Uh, the, the old saying, you're better than this. Why is he, keep, why is he keeping this argument up? Well, I, you know, I, I'm inclined just because of what I know of Miles Garrett and having been around him a little bit in the locker room. I've never seen this guy. I believe he's one of the most truthful guys in the Cleveland Browns locker room. When when they've done terrible things, Miles Garrett has, has come out against his, his team and said, "Hey, look, this has been terrible. Uh, this has been undisciplined. This has been that." So for him to continue on with this, Tom, even after being reinstated, I, I really there's a part of me that believes that. Now maybe it was said and he believed it was Mason Rudolph and it wasn't. You know what I mean? Because the culture of of uh, sometimes of uh, African-American athletes, you know, that word is used and not in a, in a derogatory term. So it's possible sure. maybe that, you know, because there was a pile there that one of those other players said it, and he, because he was right there in close proximity to Mason Rudolph, he believes that Mason Rudolph said it. And, and I don't know. Um, you know, we uh, there's been no character issues that, that would lead us to believe that Mason Rudolph is like that, but who knows? In the heat of battle, sometimes people say things they don't mean. You know, think of an argument you've had with a spouse when you've said things that you don't mean. So it's hard to say. I, I hope it. Uh, I hope whatever it is that maybe these guys can have a private conversation, uh, you know, on the telephone or something and work it out. Uh, but, you know, like I said, Miles Garrett's a guy that uh, in my dealings with him has always been a stand-up guy, always one of the first to volunteer to do the uh, the charity stuff so that the team does because, you know, those guys technically, uh, you know, unless it's their own charity, well, it'll be kind of a rotation of guys that go these certain things, um, and, you know, and, and Miles is always one of the first to volunteer. Uh, I really think that uh, – that uh, he's a good guy. Here's the thing, though, now, you know, with this incident, you know, much like Fontes Perfect or guys we've seen in the past, Miles Garrett's going to have a microscope on him now. So maybe a smaller thing now uh, could be something to where the NFL looks at Miles Garrett and, uh, you know, it, it could be quicker to be a, a one-game suspension or be this because now he's pretty much on that watch list that we've seen other guys get themselves on. So uh, if if that's it, then, you know, Miles Garrett might have to adjust the way he plays a little bit, and that could be bad news uh, for that Cleveland Browns defense. The most egregious thing that came out of Cleveland all week was the fact that the Browns brought, brought back Ryan Grigson. Uh, you know, just a litany of bad decisions this year this offseason <laughs> so far for the Cleveland Browns. Top top. And Tom, you and I as Colts fans know what a disaster this guy is. And the oh, Cleveland yeah. Browns have brought back Ryan Grigson to the front office. And what a, what a disaster. I mean, I, I, fans in Cleveland, Tom, I will tell you this after being there a, a week or two ago, that uh, they want new ownership badly. In uh, in Cleveland, and uh, you know, you thought that the most hated owner ever in the history of Cleveland was Art Modell. Not any longer, because uh, it uh, it uh, it's now Jimmy and D Haslam. 
Well, you, you, you thought they were beginning to get on the right track when they got rid of the kitchens, and they're like, okay, well, they're going to do this, but you're right. It's just a uh, – they call it the mistake on the lake for a reason. So uh, we'll see what happens. Let's go around the NFL. Let's talk about uh, the NFL free agency, obviously uh, looming uh, with the quarterbacks. Where We saw Phillip Rivers say, saying goodbye to the um, – uh, to the to the to the Chargers, I still want to say San Diego Chargers. I still can't get myself to say the LA Chargers. I, I, a lot of people like to talk about a lot of things, and you know, one of the big popular stories, and maybe it's, it's just something for us to talk about. But uh, certainly, it's getting a lot of national attention. Clay Travis, Dan Patrick, all the national guys are saying uh, that Philip Rivers is a good spot here in Indianapolis. And we also know for a fact uh, that uh, Jim Ursay flew in Philip Rivers this week on his private jet. Uh, so let's talk about Philip Rivers and the Colts and their quarterback situation. If they don't get Philip Rivers as their number one, who do they keep Jacoby Percet? And as their, I think they're higher on Jacoby Percet than a lot of us believe. Even if fans aren't, I think that the Colts are higher on, on Jacoby Percet than we might think. So they might be thinking, Hey, we're going to hang on to Jacoby Brissett, even though we got to pay him a buttload of money in March. Because, I mean, he's getting—he's going to get what five million dollars of his bonus, and then get somebody in the draft. If if you're Ballard, Reich, and Ursay, what what are you going through? What's the process you're going through? And if you have no intention of bringing in Philip Rivers, why bring him in on a private jet? Well, you know, anybody, any high. Price free agents that uh, that teams bring in, they typically do it on their jet uh, as a way to uh, you know kind of ingratiate themselves to the uh, to the guy. You know, you and I have talked about this a little uh, off the show. To me, Philip Rivers uh, was a great quarterback. I know the history with him and Frank Reich, but if you look at last season, uh, his his uh, power and his throwing arm, I believe, has regressed. Uh, he underthrew a lot of guys, which led to a lot of a lot of interceptions. Uh, you know, career high interceptions. Um, he, he's just a guy that I think has lost a step. I think the decision-making has gotten worse. He's become uh, decision-making-wise Brett Favre at the end of his career, uh, you know, with the Jets uh, as opposed to being the Brett Favre with the Vikings. Uh, to me, it, if this was Philip Rivers two years ago, this makes a, a, a 100%, uh, you know, this makes uh, it makes sense, 100% to me, because you've got a great offensive line. You've got a running game. You need a, a receiver or two. Uh, but Philip Rivers at this point, to me, to pay him 20 to $30 million, uh, at this point in his career, to me, is a mistake. It, you know, it, uh, it just it doesn't work for me. If I'm going to take an older quarterback who's lost some arm strength, I'd rather have Tom Brady at this point because we still saw that his decision-making, uh, you know, Tom Brady with nothing around him, uh, you know, was still fantastic. You know, and I, I told you, I think about a month ago, to me, the dark horse was Jameis Winston. Uh, you know, you look at what he did uh, yards-wise and touchdown-wise last year. I know we, we, we talk about the 30 interceptions, but just remember this week, Jameis Winston had surgery on his eyes, so who knows? That could make a huge difference. When Jameis Winston throws a football, somebody catches it. Now, it might not be your team, but somebody catches a football. But he had surgery <laughs> on his eyes this week. So somebody does catch team. it, right. Yes, well, Tom Brady. Jameis Winston could be the guy. It, it could be. Yeah, that's a very valid point. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, I mean, we like we – like, remember when we were all on Brett Favre watch and – and this and that, Tom Brady. We're on Tom Brady watch. I, I think a lot of this is is just talk and hype. I, I think I think secretly behind the doors, this is just my opinion uh, that, that that they've already got a deal secured with him. The New England Patriots do. Maybe he's trying to uh, uh, 
play around in the free agency to get money that he's owed from the Patriots. Not owed, literally owed, but he did take a pay cut so that other guys could play, and maybe he thinks it's his time to, to get paid. Um, I kind of think that that, uh, that the Kellogg family will do whatever they could do to keep Tom Brady. Maybe he doesn't want to stay in New England. Uh, maybe he wants to be in New York. We know that, that, that uh, Eli Manning is retiring, so there's a, an opportunity there. We just talked about uh, Tampa, uh, the, the – the long horse here also uh, is that he goes to to Dallas and Zach comes to uh, uh, Zach uh, comes to Indianapolis. A lot of moving parts, but one of the big dominoes is Tom Brady. So, what what are your thoughts about Tom Brady and where he goes? Well, you know, I know Tom Brady wants to compete. Uh, I know he wants to win another Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the to me, uh, the Colts make a lot of sense. Good offensive line. Uh, a couple of weapons, they'd have to add some more. Uh, the Bears make some sense to me. I mean, Tom Brady at this age playing indoors eight games a year and playing in Florida twice uh, a year for sure against Jacksonville uh, would, would make sense. Uh, you know, I think San Diego makes sense. I think the Bears could make a little sense. But to me, it, I think he if he doesn't stay in New England, he winds up with the Dolphins. Uh, he has a relationship with Brian Flores, former defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. Uh, Flores took a team that, let's be honest, Tom, shouldn't have won a game last year in Miami, and they won six games. That team didn't quit. But I think the big thing is is that uh, Giselle and Tom have been offered some type of ownership uh, in the Miami Dolphins to come there as part of the deal. And I know uh, that Tom, and that's one of the things he wants along, you know, with a guy like Peyton Manning, they want to be owners of a team. They don't necessarily want to coach or be a GM. They want to own a team. And I think that uh, Miami will offer them that. Uh, as a part of this deal, because Miami's way back doesn't necessarily happen through Tom Brady, but it starts and it, it happens with, uh, you know, uh, I think getting Tom Brady in the fold there and bringing fans back to that stadium. So uh, if I had to pick a dark horse, it would probably be the Miami Dolphins. The most sense, uh, I think, to me, uh, probably are the Colts and the Chargers. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll be on Brady Watch and Rivers Watch uh, uh, until we, we know what, what happens. Uh, XFL, week two this week. You know, I have to admit, I, I've got a I – w- I kind of was just a little pessimistic. I'm like, yeah, it might just be something to – because it's football, we're going to watch it. But, you know, I, I I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, they were doing real plays. One of the biggest noticeable things is, is the kickoff. And I think the, the, the NFL and on the kickoff rule can – can uh, adapt something from that because a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries happen on on uh, on kickoffs with the NFL because they're going full speed ahead, whereas they got a shorter distance with the XFL. I thought, well, you know, I was thinking, oh, that's just going to be another arena football. It didn't work out the first time, but as I watched it through the weekend last week, I could really see this developing into something bigger and better and a partnership down the line uh, with the NFL. Will it be like minor league baseball and baseball? Probably not, but certainly a lot of players that want to get on tape, a lot of players that maybe were on practice squads are now able to play in the XFL. Maybe NFL people who couldn't quite make it in the NFL that could still play. We know Antonio Brown's not going to the XFL, but that's a whole nother uh, can of worms. But the XFL, I'll give them a, a passing grade of at least a B for week one. And we'll see what happens with it, with, with it. But I think under the leadership of, of Oliver Luck, and here's a here's a here's another thing if you want to be one of these uh, tinfoil hat guys like myself. He was asked last week, Oliver Luck was asked last week, do you think that Andrew Luck's going to come back to the NFL? His answer is, I don't think he's going to come back to the NFL. 
And he emphasized that with a voice inflection. Are we going to see Andrew Luck either in leadership or a player for the XFL? I don't uh, know, I but what are your thoughts on the XFL? I think leadership is more of a possibility. If you look at what the XFL, the first incarnation of it, Tom, the NFL, two of the major things that they have now they got from the XFL, that overhead cam that goes on the wire, that was a Vince McMahon creation in the original XFL that the NFL adapted. So the uh, that overhead cam that, that follows the players from above down the field, that came from the XFL the first time around. Also, uh, the XFL was the first, uh, the first league to ever televise, uh, you know, locker room stuff, which uh, then the NFL adapted from that. So I wouldn't be shocked to see the NFL adapt some things from the XFL this time around. I did like the transparency of your re- of being able to hear the replay official as he looked at mm-hmm. stuff and his decision-making mm-hmm. process that went down to the referee. I like that a lot. Um, I like, you know, I, I know NASCAR has that separate channel where you can listen to radio communication of the teams. I liked how you could right. listen to the coach. Uh, you had your option, you know, to listen to uh, the coach calling in plays. I like that a lot. So I think there are some things that the NFL will probably steal from this, uh, and the kickoff rule could uh, could be one as well. Uh, so, you know, it, it was competitive football. It, to me, it was a, a thousand times better than the AAF of last year. So, uh, you know, we'll see if it has staying power or if the uh, if the NFL gobbles it up. Well, we'll see. But I, I, I have to admit, you know, we, we, it's, it's, the, it's in a perfect time to play it, too, because as it just passed the Super Bowl, we're still wanting some football, and you got some, you got, you got some football. Uh, we're, we're about out of time here, but I do want to get your thoughts. I know it happened last week, but, man, uh, halftime, IU, I mean, IU should have won that game. If they've never won another game, that should have been the one game that they came back. If you can't get motivated from that at halftime to come back and play a game to beat Purdue. But that's a whole other discussion. But what a powerful, powerful uh, sight that was to see Bob Knight return to Assembly Hall. Uh, Father Time has not been good to him. I, I agree with that. He, it was sad to kind of see him in that health condition. I was worried his nose was going to fall off. I shouldn't make jokes. I'm sorry. But, I mean, it was really a powerful, powerful sight to see Bobby Knight back at Assembly Hall. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, very few sporting events have uh, ever made me cry. I think the last one would have been when my Cubs won the World Series. But, uh, uh, I mean, just the the goosebumps and the feeling uh, to see the general back there on the floor, then to see him get fired up and and, and start hollering, you know, towards the crowd and towards his players and then the love and support uh, of his players to see uh, Bob Knight return there or something. I think – it will. It has put to bed a lot of old wounds for people who haven't gotten over that uh, that yet. And you know, you figured it was a matter of time as uh, him and his wife had moved back to Bloomington last summer, uh, and he had been seen around other things. You figured it was just a matter of time, and uh, and to have Gene Kitty there as well, and then to see those two guys honored at the Pacers game later that evening, uh, you know. And, and now I, I think. You know, just the, the poor performance of that team. Now, granted, we see him, we saw him get a win over Iowa uh, on Thursday night. But you know, to me, this program is going in the wrong direction. I, I where we thought Archie Miller was going to be a decent hire uh, coming off his success at Dayton. I just, I don't, I think the time has come uh, for Indiana to realize that they've made a mistake. And, you know, that's tough for colleges a lot of times to, to admit that they made a mistake because there's contracts and money to pay off involved. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think they want to admit a lot of times, hey, look, we screwed up as much as, may, as the professional teams will. But I think it's time for IU to say, look, we've made a mistake in Archie Miller. And I think the love and support you saw for Bob Knight, uh, you know, really reinforced, uh, you know, that, that, that they don't have the right coach in there. And so 
uh, you know, you'd, you'd love to see somebody without your ties come back and take over this program. But, you know, to me, I don't know that Steve Alford's that guy anymore. I think that that ship has sailed and that time has passed to, to where he would be the guy to come back and do that. Uh, you know, I, I saw some people online mention maybe Pat Knight, but let's be honest, he wasn't uh, he wasn't the best when he had his own team to run mm-hmm. in college basketball. It would be a nostalgia thing. I don't know who that guy is right now. Is it a guy like Quinn Buckner, who's uh, currently working with the Pacers organization? But he, I feel like you need a guy with Indiana ties. Uh, you know, Dane Fife, probably the guy who seems to be the coaching way in Michigan State. Uh, that would probably be the, the guy on my list if I was going to bring somebody in the IU right now, a guy who's familiar with the Big Ten, been a part of a winning program now for you know almost eight years up there with Tom Izzo, uh, played for IU. I guess at this point, uh, it, the dark horse time to watch if, if I'm a uh, Hoosier fan and I'm hoping for. Things have gone terribly for John Beeline with the Cleveland Cavaliers, a guy who brought Michigan basketball back to prominence and had success every single year uh, and without, uh, you know, five-star recruits. He did it with role players, you know, the way Bob used to do it. Uh, you know, Knight had a lot of guys that were just role players who made up a championship team, and John Beeline did that in Michigan. So if I'm the Hoosiers, I'm hoping things continue to fall apart for the Cavs, and, and to see John Beeline on that sideline next year for the Indiana Hoosiers, even though he's 65 years old, I think would be fan- what a fantastic hire to fall into if you Absolutely. That would be that's an awesome choice there. Well, we've ran out of time. We've got your official pick as Jimmy Johnson. Uh, uh, we appreciate you joining us, Mo, and uh, hope you have yourself a good weekend. We'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Where can people find right, you working, Master Sorry. Uh, Mo Radio. On, uh, Twitter app. Mo Radio Show for sure. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. Guys, it's been a fun show. Thank you, Matthew Embry, for joining us and talking some IndyCar with us. We, we've been talking about the Astros, and and was their apology sufficient enough? We've got a poll up online. Go check it out at Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. It's Daytona 500 weekend. Here are our picks. Are you ready? Matthew Embry, Denny Hamlin, Steve, uh, Steve Wilson, Brad Koloski, myself, Chase Elliott, uh, uh, Tony Donahue, Denny Hamlin, and Mo for the BS Sports Show picks Jimmy Johnson, and we'll see what Melissa, our social media director, uh, puts up as her pick, and we'll give everybody bragging rights uh, tomorrow. Uh, remember, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. My name's Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Be sure and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.